Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw family. How are we doing today? We are so thankful that all of you decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week, especially if you are new around here. We never take it for granted uh, that you would check us out, that you would give us a shot. Uh, we are continuing today in a series that we began last week titled Following Jesus 101, which means uh, if you were not here last week, it, it would be a bit like turning on an episode of Law & Order like two to three minutes late, and they're like already like into the intro and like credits, and, like dun, 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 dun. You're like, ah, I missed the entire setup. In fact, this is actually a 12-week long series. It's going to take us all the way to Easter. Uh, and last week really served as the setup, the, the why behind this series. And for that reason, dare I say it, it's the most important week of the series. So if you were not here last week, please, I'm begging you, go get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages or go listen to part one. Uh, wherever it is that you grab your podcast, you can find us under Grumlaw Church. Now, just in case you were not here last week, we don't want to leave you in the dark. Let, let me quickly summarize what we touched on. Here's our sort of theme verse for the series, and it's actually an invitation extended to you from Jesus himself. Uh, we find this in, in Matthew's gospel account, the biographical account of the life of Jesus according to a guy uh, who went by the name of Matthew. There, there it says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you, and this is really, really beautiful, you're included in that all of you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And, and as I made mention of last week, I think that probably describes just about every single one of us to, to a certain extent. We're, we're carrying heavy burdens. We're, we're, we're weary. And he says, and I will give you rest. T take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and, and gentle at heart. And you will find that, that word again, rest for your souls. For, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is, is light. And, and as I joked around about last week, who, who wouldn't want this? I mean, is there anyone who's, who's hoping for a harder, more stressful, more strenuous 2024 than 2023? Of course not. Every single one of us are longing for, each of our souls are yearning for that lighter, easier life that Jesus is describing right here. But, but the problem is, is that we as human beings, we are, we are capable of endless self-deception. We, we want this life that Jesus describes and, and, and more importantly models so well for us, but, but we're unwilling to adopt the lifestyle, which is, as I said last week, that's, that's just kind of stupid. If you want the life of Jesus, the, the life that again he describes here in Matthew chapter 11, that, then you have to adopt his lifestyle. And it's really, really important to note that, that Jesus doesn't command you to do any of this stuff. He, he rather simply engages with these practices and then very simply he, he extends an invitation and it's follow me. See, religion, it's all about coercion and, and control. You've probably experienced that. But Jesus is all about example and invitation. So, so receive his lifestyle as an invitation. More, more simply put, you're being invited to adopt the practices of Jesus. So, so that's what we're doing over the course of these three months, examining the practices of Jesus. And then like Jesus, what we're inviting you to adopt these practices. And, and remember, we, we really drove this home at the end of last week's message. These are things that we do. We don't just talk about them. 
Uh, we don't really even need to pray about them. It's just things that, that we do. And the first practice of Jesus that we're going to be exploring today, and intentionally it is first, it's reading and studying scripture. Reading and studying this book that we call the, the Bible. Uh, allow me to first share some rather sobering statistics as it relates to reading and studying scripture. Uh, it, it's estimated that only 11% of regular churchgoers read their Bible on a daily basis, with, with actually 33% of Christians saying they never read their Bible. Uh, between 5 to 7% of Christians will read the entire Bible even one time in their lifetime. Uh, approximately 26 million Americans stopped reading their Bible at least weekly during the COVID shutdowns, uh, with now only 39% of Christians e even reading their Bible three to four times a year. And I want you to keep in mind that as I was preparing for this message, I promise you that I wasn't uh, trying to be negative or merely pluck statistics to better suit like this particular agenda. It's just that virtually every statistic concerning scripture consumption and American Christians is headed squarely kind of in the, in the wrong direction. To, to put it plainly, and I've made this assertion frequently over the last two to three years, the American church is experiencing a Bible illiteracy epidemic. See, see, reading those statistics, you would assume we were living in the ancient world where it was difficult to get your hands on the scriptures, where sacred men and sacred buildings guarded these sacred texts from the common man, but that's obviously far from the case. I mean, the Christian Bible is the most printed text of all time with an estimated 6 billion copies currently in print and an average of 100 million new Bibles being printed every year. So you got to ask, like, what gives? What's the problem? How have we arrived at this place where the most accessible text of all time is being entirely neglected? Let me actually start here, actually, with the skeptics in, in the room, with the skeptics who are watching right now, or perhaps maybe skeptic feels a little bit harsh, that the people maybe who just don't see a need for the Bible in their life, or, or you've yet to understand its importance, why it ought to matter to you. Uh, by the way, those are very reasonable questions that you should ask, and in some ways, uh, those questions point to how people like me, that is pastors and church leaders, have probably dropped the ball. Uh, we've made too many assumptions. We, we haven't done a good enough job at explaining the basic and fundamental truths of Christianity. So uh, I'm looking at you saying I will certainly own my part in, in a lot of this. In, in fact, it was actually uh, just last week after our second service up in Grand Blanc where a gentleman approached me, and I, I would guess that he was probably late 60s, early 70s. He, he came up to me and he said, hey, uh, what are, what are those books that you were talking about in, in the message? And uh, in my rather nearsighted thinking, uh, last week I had quoted uh, from one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. It was a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So almost instinctively, uh, I blurted out The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, only to be met with the stare of like, what in the world are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 Th those names. And, and it took a second for a bit to click, but I was like, oh, he's talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus that we find right at the beginning of the New Testament or kind of like the second half of, of the Bible. And, and, and I'm telling you, I'm serious. It, it was one of my favorite moments ever as a pastor. And, and it was such a good reminder that it is the church's role to chop this stuff up fine, put it down low so, so everyone can eat it. I mean, after all, if, if you don't learn about it here, where else are you gonna learn about this stuff? So, so for a lot of people, uh, the Bible is simply viewed as, as an old book. Or, or even worse, it's been successfully recast in this cultural moment, not, not merely as an old book, of which it is, but, but an antiquated book. 
a bigoted book, a divisive book, a book that clearly needs to get with the times. But, but here's a fundamental truth that is so important as we have this conversation this morning. that The Bible isn't merely an old book, because it is. It is an old book. It's okay for us to acknowledge that, but, but it's a timeless book. See, it doesn't just tell us something that happened. It tells us what always happens. It's why when you actually pick this thing up and read it for yourself, you will, and you'll actually figure this out pretty early on, you'll consciously wonder to yourself, like, how does such an old text feel so applicable to me today? Now, in order for anyone to see a need for scripture, to see the importance of actually picking up and reading this thing for yourself, uh, the importance of actually studying this thing for yourself, you, you do have to come to terms with, with a rather biting truth. And, and that truth is simply this, I'll just come out and say it. Uh, you aren't very good at, at navigating life. That, that is, you rarely take you in, in the right direction. You rarely take yourself in the wise direction, in the best direction. That, that, that with you exclusively calling the shots, you get yourself into some rather precarious situations. Now, um, I make this point actually fairly often, and uh, every single time I do, that there's, there's a contingent of people, and, and I get this, by the way. It's why I make mention of this right now. Uh, there's a contingent of people that's like, well, gosh, that's a, that's a pretty terrible thing to say out loud. It's like, like who, who, who do you think that you are? Let me go with us down this little thought exercise. Uh, most of us, in fact, come on, let's actually say all of us, don't you routinely do things? Don't you routinely say things? Don't you, come on, don't you routinely think things where, where almost immediately afterwards you're asking yourself, and, and you might never actually verbalize this out loud, and I get that. We're, we're stubborn, prideful people. I'm very much in this category. But don't you routinely ask yourself, what, what is wrong with me? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where did that come from? And, and again, that's not, that's not a Christian thing. This is just an everyone. This is a human being thing. So, so wouldn't it be nice if you and I were given some sort of manual by which to better navigate this, this life? Now, as it would turn out, uh, it was about a month ago. Uh, I was, I don't know, probably aimlessly scrolling through social media and I came across this clip from Joe Rogan's podcast. If you don't know who Joe Rogan is, he hosts one of the most popular podcasts uh, literally ever. Uh, literally millions of people tuned into this thing on, on a weekly basis. And uh, I came across this conversation that he was having. We're so flawed in our approach. It's really interesting. It's like the, the human body and the human mind is such an incredibly complicated biological entity, right? Our ability to consciously be aware of our... Our, our life, our position in the world, our mortality, the, the, the insignificance of us in the greater scale, all those things are like there right now all yeah. the time, but yeah. we don't have any user's manual. Right, exactly. It's like we have this incredible machine that can invent nuclear bombs and satellites, and there's no u user's manual. Uh -huh. No user's manual for the mind or the body, uh -huh. especially not in how to manage the body right. with the mind. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Figure it out, Wide open field. You're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> Few people have got, you got to like find these masters, right? So if you think about the, the 300 and whatever million people we have in this country, yeah. how many of those people could guide you towards a, a, a proper integration of mind and body and a, a positive way of interfacing with reality that's beneficial to you physically, mentally, spiritually? Yeah. Not how, many. How many people? Not many. Is there a dozen? Not many. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Yeah, I mean, very interesting. With all these human beings, and essentially most of them trying to 
improve in some way. Yeah. Even people that fail on diets, boy, yeah. they'd like to get skinny. Even yeah. people that you know fail at school, well, I wish I was smart enough to graduate. I wish I had enough discipline. People, people want to do better. Uh -huh. So there's this vast need for coaching that would lead to improvement, yet almost, I mean, nothing to speak of, and certainly not nothing large scale in any city that has this approach where, look, we are going to teach you how to better engage with the, the material world around you and the, the better engage with reality itself that's going to leave you more spiritually, physically, emotionally fulfilled. I have really, really good news for Joe Rogan and subsequently all, all of you. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, my son Oakley right now is really into Legos. Uh, he just kind of has, even as a four-year-old, this really technical mind. He loves to build. He is perfectly content to like sit in a corner and just build things for literally hours at, at a time. And uh, a lot of my family uh, knows this about him. So he got a bunch of Lego sets this year for Christmas. Now, when you uh, open those boxes and you dump all those little pieces out of the box, it's, it's just kind of that, right? It's a bunch of tiny pieces of plastic that are just kind of chaotic and they don't really serve much of a purpose. In order to turn those pieces into the image that they show you on the box, what is it that you need? You need, like, right, the instructions. You need the, the manual. So, so if you follow those instructions, you end up with a pretty cool toy. And even though my four-year-old certainly cannot read, he still actually opens up that manual, looks at the pictures, which are designed probably for four-year-olds who cannot read, and, and he's able to put those pieces together in the way that they were designed. But if you don't follow the instructions, especially as those sets get even more and more complicated, you're basically left, right, with a, with a pile of plastic. It's, it's this mess that serves absolutely no purpose. So, so, so it's pretty wild that a seemingly insignificant piece of paper inside that box holds so much value for the greater vision. It holds so much value for the greater design. So many of you, you've, you've never heard it presented this way, and that's a real shame that it's taken this long. It's not shame on you. Again, it's shame on people like me that have never explained it, but Joe Rogan and all of you watching right now, I have some really exciting news for you. There is a manual for life, and it's called the, the Bible. <laughs> it's called the Scriptures. It's, it's an instruction book given to the creation from the Creator that when followed, it, it puts each of us in our right design just like that instruction booklet inside that Lego box. Reject it and, and you reject the creator's design, which by the way, you can do, but as we mention often around here, go against the grain long enough and you're gonna get some splinters or, or maybe just a pile of, of worthless plastic. And, and think about this, and I, I try to stress this point often. God loves you enough to give you this gift. And like any gift, you can reject it, you can ignore it, which by the way, as those stats clearly show us, most people are apparently doing, including most Christians. But, but isn't it interesting, quick footnote here, we ignore so often this gift, we ignore this manual, but all of us, both the Christian and non-Christian alike, once we get ourselves into these messes, into these predicaments of our own doing, we still go to God to bail us out. It's like, God, please help me. Please help me with my son. Please help me with my finances. Please help me with school. Please help me with this issue that I'm experiencing. And, and then we'll actually take it a step further, right? We even begin to make deals with God. God, if you help me out right here, then I promise I'll start going to church. God, if you do this, then I promise I'll start giving. God, if you start this, then I will dot, dot, dot. Deals where we, by the way, we never, <laughs> and I mean never hold up our end of the bargain. 
And, and honestly, because God's so kind and because he's so compassionate, he still does often end up bailing us out. But, but come on, think about this. At a certain point, shouldn't, shouldn't our consciences get pinged? Shouldn't wisdom awake for at least a moment where we go, you know, he has given me an instruction booklet to avoid all of that from happening in the first place, a a manual that is meant to protect me and, and guide me to the life that we're all searching for, that my soul is yearning for. Maybe, maybe I should actually pick it up and, and read it. And, and not only that, actually apply it. It's kind of a, kind of a novel idea, huh? He gives it to us as an exercise of his kindness, as an exercise of his love. Keep in mind, he didn't have to. He could have just said, hey, figure it out on your own. But he did it because he is love, because he cares that much about you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to keep you from getting those splinters. He's trying to keep shame and regret and embarrassment out of your life. He desires that your life would be marked by peace and joy and purpose and contentment which is precisely, again, why he offers you this manual. To to return to what has become a familiar illustration around here, think train tracks, not prison bars. And escaping his design isn't freedom, it's it's a train wreck. And and as direct as that may sound, come on, your own life has, has clearly demonstrated that to you. I don't think you'd be listening or watching right now if that wasn't the case. So, So here's the invitation that that Jesus extends to you through studying and reading the scriptures. And keep in mind again that this is Jesus talking. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and and follows it, doesn't just listen to it, but follows it is, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, is, is foolish, like a person who builds a house on, on sand. When, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with, with a mighty crash. Follow the instructions. Follow the manual and, and you will be unshakable. Now, that's certainly not to imply, as we talked about last week, as, as, this, as this passage clearly models and, and tells us, that all of your circumstances are suddenly going to improve. God never promises that. In fact, he says, when the floods come, when the rains come pouring down, he's like, that stuff is gonna head your way. It's rather that you will be building your life upon a strong, solid, God-designed foundation. The creator saying to the creation, this is the way that it ought to be. That when the floodwaters rise, because negative circumstances will absolutely come your way, you will have built your life according to the design of the creator and therefore will actually be equipped to to withstand those storms, just like, again, a home built on a solid foundation. But go rogue and reject the design as laid out by the creator, as laid out by the inventor, and he says, well, enjoy the inevitable collapse. Now, for a couple minutes here, um, I want to present some interesting factoids regarding Scripture 
Uh, that's actually something that I discovered this week, that factoid is actually a word. I thought that's just like something that like people say, but it's, I looked up, it's actual word. So some interesting facts regarding scripture, a little bit of Bible 101 uh, that I think at least like, I don't know, five of you will find interesting. Well, let's start here. Uh, what is the Bible? I'm gonna go kind of rapid fire right now. Uh, this will be news to actually most of the people whom are watching right now, which is why I'm excited to share this with you. Uh, we get our word Bible from a Greek phrase, ta biblia. Wherever you're watching from right now, go ahead and say ta biblia. You're getting so smart this morning. Uh, and a one-for-one translation would yield us the, the books. Tabla Biblia is the books. Now, now where does that come from? Uh, the Bible, for those of you who don't know, is actually a collection of books, 66 books to be exact, a collection of books that, that spans about a 1,500-year period of time. Uh, furthermore, uh, the Bible is divided into two sections, what we traditionally refer to it as is the Old Testament, that's sort of the first half, and then the New Testament, that's kind of the second half. Uh, but a more literal translation of those terms, testament, would actually yield us the word covenant. Uh, so we have the Old Covenant, which is, again, kind of the first half of the Bible, and then we have the New Covenant, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Now, that Old Covenant uh, is all of that sacrificial and ceremonial law, uh, a lot of stuff that when you read it, honestly, it can be pretty confusing to you. Uh, and it's like, okay, this was like just some weird stuff that was happening back then. But again, basically the foundation of that is that man decided to walk away from God's design and something had to pay the penalty for that sin. Well, eventually Jesus steps onto the scene. And, and he's the once and for all payment for our collective sin problem. And, and he gives us the opportunity to get that right standing back with God. Well, well, that's where the New Testament picks up. It is this new covenant given to us by God through his one and his only son, Jesus. Now, also worthy of note, uh, the whole reason that the Old Testament was included with this collective book that we call the Bible, uh, combined with the New Testament, is because people in the first century finally were able to get their hands uh, on the Old Testament scriptures, which is actually the Jewish Bible. It's, it's literally the exact same thing. You picked up and left right now, went to a Jewish synagogue, you would literally find uh, the Old Testament scriptures. Once people actually had access to those, and they weren't being protected and kind of guarded by uh, these very religious men, people were reading through it and they were like, oh my goodness, this is so clearly pointing to Jesus. Like, how did we miss this? So the Old Testament became actually, again, even more evidence that, again, Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, and again, combined together to form this cohesive text that we call the Bible. Now, the Bible is also filled with multiple literary genres. Uh, remember, again, it is a collection of books, 66 books. So, for instance, the Psalms, which is an Old Testament book, is, is poetry. Proverbs, another one of the Old Testament books. It's wisdom literature. The, the Gospels, that is the first books of the New Testament, the four biographies graphical accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are, as I just suggested, biographies. Uh, half the New Testament are, are letters to either churches or individual people or, or friends. So if you've ever read the Bible for yourself and nobody's really ever given you any context and you start reading and you're like, man, this like feels really different from one book to another, it, it, it should because it's filled with these different genres, different writers, again, 66 books combined together to form this text that we call the Bible. Now, for those of you who are listening right now and you're kind of eating this stuff up and, and you're interested in understanding, for instance, how those 66 books ended up in the Bible. Why wasn't it 70 books? Why wasn't it 60 books? Uh, we did a series a, a year ago titled Ecclesiology uh, and we spent a lot of time, I believe it was in part seven, discussing just this, the, the Bible. Uh, that talk was actually specifically given on March 
March 19th of 2023. So there is a lot more that I could certainly say here, uh, a lot more than what I have time for this morning. Uh, But I would encourage you, if you're interested in this stuff, you were not here for that message, or perhaps you just need a refresher, go back to, again, March 19th of 2023 in that series, uh, again, titled Ecclesiology. The name of that particular talk was literally just the Bible. Go back and listen to that message. But the point I want to drive home uh, most, again, most important for our conversation that we're having this morning uh, is actually a point that, that Peter, uh, one of the 12 apostles, one of these guys that spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus for a three-year period of time, uh, one of the points that he makes in one of his letters aptly titled Second Peter. He, he says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy, no word in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or, or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, that is it, God in spirit, and they spoke from God. So the same Holy Spirit who dwells within every follower of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit who longs to guide you, as it says in scripture, guide you into all truth and understanding, is the same Holy Spirit who moved man to pen these words. Now, now if you're tracking with me, but admittedly, you're you're a little bit skeptical of all of this. Uh, What I just offered right here, what Peter writes right here, might sound like absolutely ridiculous. Like, like how do we know that's, that's true? How do we know that this isn't just some fairy tale that some random guy came up with that he's like, oh yeah, this is like the Holy Spirit told me to write this stuff and actually it was just from his mind. Let me acknowledge something that, that I was actually initially gonna say for like right at the end of this message and we're nearly there, but I feel like it bears emphasizing right now. This right here is a quote from Anselm who is uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, for I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe. So, so let that really sink in. So often we put quotes in church and we don't really pay attention to what's going on here. Re- really hone in on what, what he's saying here. For I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe, that is I have faith in order to understand. For this also I believe, that unless I believe, unless I have faith, I shall not understand. Here's what he's saying. You do have to exercise a certain level of faith, a certain level of belief as you adopt this practice of Jesus. So if you want to be critical and scoff and regard us Christians as a bunch of fools, that's not hard to do. As Scott made the point uh, at the end of this last year, he's like, it's not hard to be the critic. You don't have any skin in the game. Admittedly, you can't know for certain everything that I am presenting you with today. But, But as I often remind us, We exercise faith every single day, multiple times a day. You exercise faith every single time you get in your car and drive somewhere. You're trusting that some other driver isn't going to cross that yellow line that provides absolutely no level of resistance and hit you head on. You you exercise a level of faith when you work your tail off for weeks on end and then trust that your employer is going to deposit money into your bank account for said work. Faith, when you think about it, is foundational to the human experience. And so what I'm asking of you, what Jesus is asking of you, what what Anselm is pointing to is that you merely point some of that faith towards the guy who would successfully, oh, by the way, predict his own death and resurrection. So so keep in mind, it's far from from a blind faith. As Paul writes in, in his early letter to the Christian church in Corinth, he says, the person without the spirit, that is the person that does not have the spirit of God in them, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. But Paul right here, he's acknowledging 
what we have all experienced and, and witnessed and reminds us that, again, there have always been skeptics. Of course the world, uh, of course those on the outside looking in, and that might very well describe you this morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, of course those from the outside looking in are going to view the words of Scripture with, with skepticism, even as he notes here as, as foolishness. And honestly, why would we expect any different? Jesus was never shy about being counterculture, about being contrary to the way of the world. And when something is so contrary to our experience with culture and what we experience as normal, naturally there is always going to be pushback. Now, before we end our time together, I wanted to make this all kinds of practical. I didn't want to just talk about this and then just leave you to figure it out. Uh, just kind of four points here I want to drive home here at the end of this message. Very, very practical. Uh, number one, and hopefully this goes without saying, uh, you need to get a Bible. So, so, so get a Bible. Uh, and I would recommend an actual physical copy uh, of, of the Bible. Uh, every single week here in person, we have free Bibles that we literally just give away. But also throughout this series, uh, we've made an intentional effort that we have two uh, different study Bibles that are actually available in our store. And if you're watching online, I'm gonna put images of these Bibles up on the screen right now. Uh, these Bibles that we would maybe recommend that you would grab. Two, two versions uh, that we're gonna have available in our store here throughout the series that we would recommend you maybe getting your hands on. Uh, you've probably noticed around here, uh, I typically read from the NLT, that is the New Living Translation. Uh, for a lot of you, this is maybe news to you. There's all these different translations of scripture. Uh, the reason that my go-to is, is the NLT is just that I find it generally speaking to be the easiest one to understand. Uh, all Bibles are just that. They are translations. None of them are a one-for-one one from the original Greek or Hebrew. Uh, so we have just kind of decided why not get our hands on the one that is just the easiest to understand while still holding true to those original words. So two different Bibles that we're recommending. One is the Life Application Bible. Uh, this is really, really, really great for those of you whom are just beginning to explore. Uh, this is the Bible that I used at the beginning of my faith journey, in fact, well into my 20s, because as the title would suggest, it, it very, very practically applies what you you are reading and studying to your own life. So it's filled with all these footnotes for virtually every verse. And you're going like, what the heck does that have to do with me? What do you know? There's a footnote right there at the bottom that tells you how that might apply to your life. It does a great job of explaining the broader context. It does a great job of beating you to that punch of like, what are they talking about? What do you know? There's like a whole section on the other side of the page that tells you exactly what's going on there. Really, really great resource. Uh, the other one that we might recommend would be the NLT Study Bible. Uh, this is the exact Bible that I read from each and every day. Uh, in that Bible, it contains more like kind of those nitty gritty details for those of you whom are just like really looking to nerd out. Uh, you're longing to become more literate uh, as you read scripture. So it contains cross references and historical significance. Uh, it contains a greater context and why some of these authors would have written those things down. Uh, why is that even there to begin with? Uh, one of the things that I love about a study Bible like this is one of the things that skeptics will often point to uh, is the discrepancy between certain manuscripts of scripture. And they're like, see, it's all made up because of that reason. Well, a study Bible like this is actually going to point to that and call attention to it. And literally there will be footnotes that say in an earlier manuscript, it may have read this. This part of the text might have been added at this point, kind of beat you to that punch in that regard. So again, both of these Bibles, again, if you're looking to get a study Bible, we would absolutely recommend one of those. So number one, get a Bible. Number two, uh, identify a time and a place. Where are you going to go to spend time in his word every day? And at what time of the day is that going to take place? Now, uh, I'm not shy about uh, saying this out loud. 
I absolutely believe that, that your daily encounter, that's what we call it around here, that daily time where you get into his word, where you read the scriptures, and then spend time talking to God through prayer, which we're going to talk a little bit about later uh, in this series, uh, that that daily encounter should be at the beginning of your day. doesn't mean it has to be the only time of your day. You can spend time with Jesus as much as you want, uh, but that's where your day really needs to start. Uh, there's not a person whom you respect spiritually that does not spend time with Jesus right at the beginning of their day because all of us got to a point in our faith journeys where we recognize that the rest of our days take their cue from that daily time with Jesus. So, so begin to cultivate that habit. Well, where can you go where, where distractions will be eliminated? Uh, church, there were seasons where, where that daily quiet time was literally in the passenger seat of my car where I would get out of my car, go park in a parking lot, get out of my vehicle, go in the passenger seat because I knew if I was in the driver's seat, I was going to get distracted and, and I would spend that time in, in the vehicle because again, I knew I would be distracted at other places. Right now, uh, that daily time I spend with Jesus is actually at my office here at the church because I got four kids and it doesn't seem to matter how early I wake up. It's like those kids beat me to the punch and they kind of rob from that time with Jesus. So I get out of the door as quickly as I possibly can and I come here usually before anyone else gets here and I spend that time with him. But, but where are you going to go? What, what time of day are you going to spend that with him? Don't compromise or budge no matter what. Begin to develop that habit in your life. And then number three, uh, start with Jesus. Uh, I recognize that, again, this book, it's really intimidating. And for a lot of people, uh, you went at this like totally alone, and, and, and I understand that. You're, you're ambitious. You want to get at it. You want to start reading it. But you probably began, like you begin most other books, right at the beginning. But remember, it's a collection of books. So we don't actually recommend that you start right at the beginning in, in Genesis. Begin with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books that we find right at the beginning of the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible, the New Covenant. And again, they are the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And, and I love the, the challenge that my dad issued for years and years. I grew up going to all these conferences and different assemblies where my dad was speaking and his, his challenge was so consistent with people who had never picked up and read this thing for themselves. Just begin with one chapter a day. Start reading one chapter a day out of the biographical accounts of the life, the life of Jesus, again, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then number four, uh, apply it. Apply it. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Retain it. Implement it. Do. Apply what you just read to your life. Uh, and so I have a little helpful guide here that's maybe going to help you accomplish and, and, and get towards just that. Disclaimer here on this. I ripped this off from a study called Every Man a Warrior, which many uh, men right here in this faith community have been a part of. Slightly tweaked it to perhaps made the wording just a little bit easier to understand. Uh, but begin to follow this journaling guide as you step into this daily time with Jesus. So very simple. I'm going to rip through this. Obviously, the date, the chapter you're reading. What's the big theme from the chapter that I'm reading? And, and keep in mind, there's not a right or a wrong answer with this? What is standing out to you as you read? Uh, what verse, particular verse, most stood out to me and why? Write it down. Write why perhaps it is, again, sticking out to you. Again, and there's not a wrong answer. And, and then begin to ask some questions. I'm not going to rip it up, like, through all these, but is there a command to obey, a promise to claim? And, and then lastly, communicate with God. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about speaking with God through prayer a little bit later in this series. But adoration, confession, thanks, and supplication. Start using this as a guide and begin to journal as you're reading Scripture. It's, again, why we have these journals available in the store all throughout this series. Because, again, we want to give you the tools in order order to make this a reality. Now, here's what's really good right now. Some of you are watching, it's like hard to see for maybe some of you. If you text following Jesus 101 to 94,000, so all one word, following Jesus 101 to 94,000, we will actually text you uh, a copy of this image that you can then screenshot, save to your phone, and begin to again use this in your daily time with him. 
Now, here's where uh, I want to end with a couple of passages, and they're strikingly similar, one from Hebrews and then one from a letter titled 2 Timothy. Uh, First, Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For the word of God, that is the scriptures, the Bible, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It is how, this book is how we are conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And then in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture, so again, remind you, all scripture, not just some of it, not just the stuff that we find ourselves agreeing with, not just the stuff that follows lockstep with this cultural moment, but all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It it is how, this book is how God directs our lives. How we step into the better that he has waiting for each of us. How we fit into our God-given design. Remember, these disciplines, these practices aren't the end in and of themselves. The end is rich, abiding, joy-filled, purpose-filled, easy, light life with Jesus. Life to the full with Jesus. So often, again, we hear that sentiment of, I just want to know what God's will is for my life, or I want to know if there really is a God out there. I just long to hear from God for myself. Church, his word, the scriptures, are where it begins and where it ends. If you don't know his word, you can't know him. We very intentionally chose this as the first discipline to explore because everything else in your relationship with Jesus, it flows from here. Reading and studying his word. You cannot know God and experience the richness of relationship with him if you do not know his word. What what a gift that our almighty living God has given us.